was that I see walking in these woods? Hello and welcome to another edition of the Nerd Hooligan Podcast. I am your aforementioned host, uh, the Nerd Hooligan, Uncle Pappy Wolf, to those who see me on Twitter. And today, uh, we I have a guest who's going to talk about Comic-Con and all the goings-on that have happened at Comic-Con this particular year, 2011. Want to introduce yourself? <laughs> uh, yes. Hi, I'm Manny here. Um, just a regular Comic-Con goer, a uh, long-time comic book fan, and general pop culture fan of everything. <laughs> so today we're going to do a podcast together, and uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and start getting into Comic-Con. Go. All right. So, how, how many times, actually, how many times have you gone to Comic-Con? Uh, we've been going to Comic-Con now, me and my wife, for about five years. So this is our fifth year that we've gone. Uh, and it's it's really been one of those things that it was on the cusp of becoming big. And now that it is the white elephant that it is, <laughs> it's uh, nearly impossible to go. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of like being nice. It's kind of like going to a prom for nerds. Because I know so many people this year who didn't get tickets. And uh, they're constantly talking to me on Facebook or Twitter about how they can't get in and how do I get in. And it's almost like you have to have a backdoor pass nowadays or something to get in. But that's, that's a good analogy. Like, Tom, you should uh, you should start dating, dating a senior. A senior will get you into Comic-Con <laughs> every w- time. I wish. I wish I could date a senior or at least a producer or somebody they can get me to come for free. Because those guys get in for free. In fact, this year they were talking about cutting a lot of press passes. And I know a lot of people I talked to at the con... Were having a harder time if they were pressed because press gets in for free. They were limiting the number of tickets. So, yeah, I've actually seen that spill over also to the professional passes. I've, I've talked to a couple of professionals who are talking about uh, normally they would bring along with them uh, an assistant or something like that uh, to help them out with their booth or help them out running the con while they're there with the selling the merchandise and things like that. But they had to actually buy an actual pass. Instead of getting an extra professional pass for someone who was helping them out that normally would every year. Yeah, I was talking to one guy who uh, barely made it in this year, and I guess he has to have his credentials done every three years. So they're good for three years, and so he has to go do a project, and he was he was a freelance guy, and he was doing some freelance work, and he's like, just barely got it a couple months before they went, the tickets went on sale or the cutoff was. And once they renew you, I guess they renew you for three years, and then you got to prove that your credentials are still accurate. So even for those guys, it's kind of crazy. But so just to cover up a few highlights, what what, uh, what are some of the things that you liked about this year's con that you thought uh, were interesting? Um, it's really different this year because you were able to concentrate on a lot of different things. Normally, uh, with a lot of the big ticket items that are at Comic Con every year, you normally want to concentrate on the biggest of the best type of things that you like. Um, This year, because that wasn't the best available option, you were able actually to concentrate on a lot of smaller things that maybe people might not have been able to see before, or things that surprised them. Um, I actually talked to quite a few people who were surprised by the 1010 panel, that (laughs) because of Hall H was so open this year and so accessible, that they got in to see the 1010 panel, and uh, that really blew them away. And I didn't get in to see the Tin Tin panel, and I'm still hurting from it. I had to get in line and wait for like several hours to get my ticket for the following year, so I missed out on the Tin Tin panel altogether, but most of Hall H. And for those of you who don't know, Hall H is a place where 
well, like people like me are actually Hall H groupies, where you could kind of sit in there and all the Hollywood films would come to you, and it's probably the most desirable. It seats about 6,000. It's also the place where the uh, infamous stabbing of the eye occurred, <laughs> which is what people were trying to get seats to get in, and this one guy stabbed another guy in the eye, and, and that's like the most violent thing that's ever happened at Comic-Con. But, but it's really a desirable place, but this year was really different. Uh, how did you notice it was different? I noticed with the boycott of some films and some companies that uh, we didn't get as many movies being premiered this year at uh, Comic-Con. So, Oh, definitely. I mean, you have some of the biggest production studios that held out uh, this year. Disney's one. Uh, Marvel Studios, right. which is now Disney. part of Disney. Uh, Pixar, which obviously is part of Disney. Uh, Warner Brothers, who, if... Disney didn't own Marvel would probably be owned by Disney at this point. So <laughs> Disney's like the board. <laughs> They're assimilating all the best parts of the properties I like. Um, so we didn't get to see a whole lot of that at, at, the, at the convention this year. And uh, like I said, it did open up a lot of smaller stuff that people said, you know, I actually enjoyed that Tintin thing I, I would never have gone to beforehand. So um, it's, it's really sort of interesting to see what's going to happen with um, the D23 Expo that's coming up. Uh, Apparently, we read some news earlier saying that there might be some Avenger footage. Yeah, no, that this is driving me insane. It, it's just <laughs> crazy. Like Disney decided that they didn't want to go to Comic Con, like I mentioned in the last podcast too, partially because of things like Tron and other films not doing too well, and they kind of blamed Comic Con crowds. But with, a lot of people argued over what they thought about, um, you know, oh, that Disney's going to take over Marvel and all the characters are going to be cutesy. But my problem with, like I say, is with, with Disney taking over is the way they like to sit on their properties and do absolutely nothing with them and then kind of, like, rule out being involved in anything that isn't Disney. So, yeah, we were reading online that this year did they, they were making excuses why they didn't show anything Marvel. There was no Marvel film panels this year. And the excuse was that they were off filming the stuff in New Mexico and that none of the cast could make it. Needless to say, like the, the Captain America premiered on the Comic-Con day, so it, it wasn't like they couldn't have a showing. John Favreau was there. Other people involved in the film properties were there. But Disney refused to have any panels. But then we read an article that says that D23, which is Disney's own con, um, may have Kevin Feige show up with an Avengers panel. And it's this August. So it's not like the Comic-Con's in July, August. Like, oh, the filming schedule's so rough, we can't get away for three or four days or a day to show up at Comic-Con. But, oh, D3 is open. Uh, D23's open. So that's wonderful. Well, just one clarification, though. That it wasn't just Marvel movies because it was Marvel Studios, which yeah. is from Disney. Because Ghost Rider was still there, Spider-Man stuff was still there. But they're not part of the Marvel Film Company. Right, like I said, Marvel yeah. Studios was, was taken out. And um, you really have to take a look, and, and like you said before, Disney likes to sit on, sit on their property because they like to create the scarcity model. Um, everyone always complains about the vault. Disney will take something <laughs> super popular, and they'll put that in the vault because they know if it's gone for 7, 10, 12, 15 years. Or forever, as in the Sound of the South. <laughs> Song, Song of the South, which you can't get in America. Um, <laughs> well, legally. <laughs> uh, you know, if you put that stuff away, when that comes out, you will go out and buy yourself a Diamond Blu-ray edition of that for $39 or $49. And you know what? They can do that with their Marvel Studio Productions now because they know they can take that to... D23 because of the scarcity model because you didn't get to see it at a con that's going to build up D23 even further and sort of 
get people to go to that convention more than they have in the past. Because now you're going to start drawing in people from other parts of the subculture of comics. Yeah, I, I guess the problem I have with D23 is is there there is some crossover between Disney and uh, and comics, but you're not going to get the same crowd of people that are zealous for Marvel that are going to be attending D23 that you would at Comic Con, and and and. The problem I have, again, with Disney is uh, they're not mutually exclusive. You don't have to have a lot. Comic-Con crowds don't want a lot. Maybe a few picture shots and just the talk with the director is fine with, with them or even just people involved in the film. I've seen panels at Comic-Con. Some of the best panels were just two people or one person. Like, John Favreau had one of the best panels. It was him and Guillermo del Toro just talking. You know, and it's like that's a, a great panel sometimes depending on the person they have. So it's just kind of me like a dissing. Like, I think that there's some kind of not only just with the scarcity model, disconnect with wanting the nerd crowd at Comic-Con to have such a big pool of a, a, on, on the opinion, on the public opinion of any of their films. I definitely agree. I think that there is sort of a snub that happened there. Uh, you mentioned briefly that Captain America premiered during the week of con. I mean, you're really going to divide loyalties there. You're going to tell someone, like, well, you have one day of Comic-Con. Uh, are you really going to go all night to that premiere of Captain America? Or, you know, are you going to go to the convention center in the morning at 6 o'clock in the morning like a lot of people do show up, especially if they have just that one day to be at the convention center? And so I do feel like Disney definitely took a, took a look at their previous numbers of movies that they've taken there and the Marvel, Studio, Marvel Studios, that, that what they brought there, and they really felt like, well, you know what? We've invested a lot in this convention and these comic book people, and these movies do well. Look at Iron Man. Look at you know Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Are these people really helping us out for what we're spending? And their idea is no. But like you said, it's it's a very zealous crowd. The only way you're going to do some money in those particular instances is to play to that crowd. I mean, Tron would. I wouldn't want to say they would have done anything, but they would have not done any close to the numbers that they did without having had that Comic Con presence. Albeit maybe it was too expensive what they did at Con. But that, that, yeah, they kind of want a little more reward. I mean, it, light cycles are cool, but is, is it really necessary to build a new one and bring it to the convention center? <laughs> or have, like, tons of stuff. I mean, they actually built, was it Flynn's Arcade? I didn't get to go. Did you, did you go last year? to? I did go to Flynn's Arcade, which, it's. I mean, it looks like Flynn's Arcade. And, you know, kid of the 80s, it's, it's real nostalgic for me to be there. But at the same time, is it absolutely necessary? And I don't think it is. Did, I mean, last year, I had a curious... Did you have to have a pass to get into Flynn's Arcade, or was it open to the public? Um, so, the way you had to get in was very much at, at, at the convention center, anyways. It was uh, much like any way you get into anything at con, is that you show up someplace and and get a ticket, you know, to stand in line to go get it. The, the, the uh, ubiquitous the, secret tickets. Yeah, that's one of the biggest... <laughs> um, cons of the comic book convention in San Diego is the fact that uh, information is not readily given. It's not published right away. Too many people. It, it, it almost feels like they you have to have someone in the know and they really don't want to advertise that information because they don't want to be shut down like a lot of places got shut down uh, this year for being too popular. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's kind of fun in some regards, and sometimes it can be frustrating. Like this year, they actually had the Hollywood premiere of Cowboys and Aliens up at the Horton, and so they had the red carpet, they had all of Hollywood coming out, 
they had um, Harrison Ford, who wasn't in any of the panels this year. He was there last year. Um, but they had a huge Hollywood show up, and they actually had part of the Hollywood crowd that saw the film were Comic-Con attendees. And so it's turned into like a bit of a scavenger hunt. Like if you really, really wanted to get in there, you could spend all day looking for the guys who are tickets, and Twitter helps with that. People, it's kind of like a scavenger hunt on Twitter, people doing following hashtags. And I think for that, they were talking about some brick. They would give you a brick to get into Aliens. Or, or, do you remember? I, I got a brick. I Did was, you get one? I got a brick on, <laughs> um, uh, what was that morning? Was that Thursday morning? <laughs> what kind of brick is it? it is was, it, a- it was a cardboard. Gold brick. Oh, okay. Um, I believe it was Thursday morning. I was actually in the limited signing uh, sign uh, line, uh, which, if you don't know, every day at Comic Con they feature a couple of people, either authors, comic book artists, celebrities, things like that, uh, in which you have to line up and you you pull tickets. It's it's a line in which you go through a lottery in order to win the chance to stand in line for something else. Um, and we were in that line, and the coordinator, who's there pretty much every morning, this guy has actually been there for a couple of years that I've stood in that line, uh, he came by with uh, the people from Cowboys and Aliens and said, like, we're going to give you guys something very special. He's like, be quiet about it because we don't want <laughs> to be flooded right now. You want to be mobbed and taken over. So he started handing out these gold bricks that just said Cowboys versus Aliens. And you open it up, and inside there was uh, all kinds of, like, little things. Uh, oh, swag? Swag, like... Uh, oh, swag. We got a free Cowboys vs. Aliens t-shirt. Is it like the one from last year or the black and... Uh, it has a silhouette of uh, Daniel Craig in his outfit. Oh, that's a different one. Yeah, and then actually on the corner of the sleeve, it says Comic-Con 2011, right. and it has a little Comic-Con symbol there. So um, me being my size, and my wife took that shirt because it was <laughs> only like a medium or something like that. Well, yeah, that was the great thing, though, about last year. I got a ticket... Uh, I, I mean, I got a ticket last year that went to what they call the the, the infamous fulfillment room. And for those of you who don't know, it, at the Comic Con has a lot of secret stuff, and you'll get a ticket to something, and then they send you to the magical fulfillment room, which is kind of like the room in Harry Potter where everybody puts the stuff that you're not supposed to know, but you can only get in if so, if you really need to. Well, the ticket gets you in, and then you go in there. But last year, I got his I got his Cowboys and Alien shirt, but it was a different design. It was just the name. And it had the the icon patch of Comic Con on it, but they had two X sizes, and I was like, just like in heaven because usually you get a shirt, it's always like large or medium or small. Or <laughs> I have never received a free T shirt at Con that was any bigger than a large, and I'm I'm also a two X guy, so all of my very cool promotional T shirts go to my wife and my friends who are smaller than I. So and I've every year I've come home with two or three T-shirts and I'm like that's a great design I wish I could wear that. Yeah, you almost feel like ah, oh, what should I do? What should I do? Well, I'll just take it anyway. It's free. Which come on, if you if you want to follow the stereotype of comic book people, we're all a little bit larger in the stereotyping cliche of the thing. So why throw go out there with a medium? Yeah, no, I've seen a lot of big, <laughs> I've seen a lot of big people fitting into some cosplay this year. So it's just pretty true every year. But um, to get back to Disney, is there anything more about Disney that you? You wanted to say, or did you um, notice? It was it was very interesting because the uh, Disney publishing was still there. Well, so it's Warner Brothers publishing. Well, Warner so, Brothers is TV shows. Yeah. So, but Di- I, Disney publishing was actually giving out a lot of free stuff about a lot of their their books. They gave away um, free uh, poster tubes, so you can those get, went crazy. Yeah, we we came home with a f- couple free extra poster oh, tubes. I, for I couldn't people. get in that line. So, uh, well, when we went by, there was no one in that line. So, so you lucked out then. Yeah, huh? there was just nobody there. So it was really weird to see this dichotomy of, of, dichotomy of, of sort of 
the different aspects of Disney of what they were willing to invest in right. and what they weren't willing to invest in, which obviously you can see um, from the article that D23 is going to take up a lot of that Avenger stuff. And so freaking frustrating. And that is Kevin Feige, for those that don't know, is the, the guy who had made the announcement. I was reading the article online that talked about him maybe all of a sudden mysteriously having a, an Avengers footage or panel to show at D23. And he got booed last year at Comic-Con during the Avengers panel because of the Edward Norton stuff. And Edward Norton being recasting the Hulk. This would be like the third movie version of the Hulk that we've seen. And and I don't know if he really liked that because he didn't really want to answer the questions. So maybe that he's part and parcel with being a little bit frustrated with the Comic-Con crowd. Because unlike other crowds, like they will tell you what they think of your idea. And I don't know if Hollywood's really comfortable with people saying, you know, you know that choice you made? It sucked. And I'm not too happy with it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've gone to screenings before, special events, where you get to see something early, and, and they give you, like, a questionnaire. They'll sit you down in the room and be like, well, what did you think of the movie? Um, you will never see that level of vehemence in a, a panel at, at con where people will really question and judge what you've done. And I almost want to say, I'm very close to saying, rightfully so, because... These are the people who are going to spend the most money on your product. These are the people you're really banking on being your street team. The people who are going to get the word out more than anything else. We talk about this age of social media and things like that. Well, that stuff doesn't really develop through the regular corporate sponsorship. That really develops through word of mouth. And so I don't think Hollywood would say, like, we just spent $65 billion on this. For you to come back and tell us that you don't like that Hulk? <laughs> like, yeah. that's really hard for them to understand because... Sixty-five billion dollars—that's a lot of money. That's you know, <laughs> and and you know, if a lot of it can be, you know, I've never understood this about Comic Con. I don't understand why company film companies don't use Comic Con as a means to see what fans want. They use a lot of polling audiences when they make films. They'll even reshoot portions of a film based on audiences' critique of a film. You could easily do that and fix a lot of film Hollywood problems with Comic Con if you had the right director and and right audience. I mean, you take just a simple, something as simple as punch-up. If you don't know what punch-up is in Hollywood movies, is when they, they take a script that's in either pre-production or just beginning production, and they get some writers and they get some, some other people who are in the business, and they sit there and they type the script around a table, and it's almost like a, a second reading of the table, and they'll tell you to edit things and move things around. I mean, Comic-Con could be a really great area for a punch-up. Like, you could really find out what the people who are going to go see that movie and right. talk about that movie the most want to see in that movie or what they feel they're most offended by in that movie because um, like we see with any other movie that you're going to see a lot of bad press come back from those Comic Con people because those are the people who are going to be the most active voice in that genre. I, I think that after seeing you haven't seen Green Lantern and, and we won't talk too much about it but I think Green, Green Lantern could have used a little bit of that uh, as well but because of all of the stuff that's gone on at Comic Con and because Hollywood didn't kind of show have a biggest showing what I was surprised at is that Comic Con was just as good as to me entertaining wise as any other year because of the fact that now all of the lesser known films and lesser known properties on television had a chance to have bigger audiences so some of the best panels I saw this year were really TV shows. Yeah, this was a year that television took over Comic-Con. If you haven't been to Comic-Con or any really big convention, you'll learn that a lot of it is you're going to pay the price to see the biggest thing there. 
and because a lot of the movie studios weren't there showing the biggest thing, the next biggest thing that came into production was a lot of the TV shows. Vampire Diaries, True Blood was huge, The Walking Dead, Torchwood. Even panels like The Guild, which is a web series, for those who don't know it, you should be watching The Guild. It's an incredibly oh, funny yes, show. It's a great show. And uh, that panel is one of the funniest freaking panels that was there. And it was in it was in the Bayfront Hilton. And this is probably the second or third year that the, the, the con has really spilled over into mostly downtown Gaslamp San Diego. It used to be confined mostly to the convention center. And now it really is, there are one, two, three, maybe four or five hotels that are involved in the Comic-Con process with panels. Um, I know that uh, they ha- even had panels over uh, two hotels down um, at where you got the tickets uh, yeah. for last year. So it was crazy, crazy busy this year. Ballroom 20 is a place where, you know, it, Ballroom 20 seats about 4,000 is what I was told. Somewhere roughly around there. Yeah, Ballroom 20 is just about 4,000. And they, they were filled to the max. I mean, the, the Big Bang Theory panel is always a big draw, but it was incredibly crowded in there. So what you saw a lot of that day, I believe that was Friday, right? Friday, um, you also had True Blood. Um, I missed the True Blood panel. I, was in, I got stuck in line. <laughs> so I missed The Walking Dead. I missed a lot of the, the first couple panels. Well, the, the um, what had happened is that they continued with sort of their tradition of doing TV shows in that room. Which might have been a mistake. They might have staggered some of stuff out to Hall H or some other um, auxiliary rooms because at that day you had the very biggest of the big things in that room. So the line was, um, I want to say anywhere between fifteen to 20,000 it, people. It's the longest I've ever seen it. So, I mean, this, this is a line that wrapped around the peninsula that is behind the San Diego Convention Center, which is not something, a very small little area. It is a quite literally like about a mile long and imagine that a line went from the convention center snaked and then went down into that peninsula around and then snaked itself again so uh you had that morning torchwood which is a fantastic show um john berman's john berman yeah spinoff from doctor who um then you had the walking dead i can't believe i missed that that was a great panel they actually showed the trailer twice um even Frank Darabont wanted to show the trailer again, even though four <laughs> days later he left the show. Um, then you had... Uh, That's the, right, huh? He did leave the show, huh? He did leave the show well, four I, I days heard, later. And, and the reason why I heard he left the show is because he was tired. Now, he's just tired of having, to, I guess, the constant rigmarole of doing that. Well, yeah, there's actually, there's been some reports um, that got posted today, a couple articles saying that... Uh, Madman actually is using up a lot of the budget in uh, their the AMC. AMC. So um, that they're sort of taking little bites out of the budgets of other shows. And so Walking Dead is actually one of the shows that's listed as having their budget cut a little bit because oh. of uh, uh, Madman. So uh, if you enjoy John Hamm, you, you'll get to see John Hamm and all his stunning stunningness, but uh, <laughs> you might see less zombies, less outside, outside shots and things like that. I heard they were desperately dead. trying to get him back, um, getting back to doing the, the show again, because it, they, they realized, oh, no, we've got two Golden Nugget shows, and, and we don't want to lose this one. And the people are kind of like, whoa, you don't want to lose the guy who made it what it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that was a report that came out today, article saying that you know, Mad Men's taking a little bit of that. But, I mean, you had uh, that show, you know, Walking Dead, and then you had Big Bang Theory, which is also a big, big panel that gets draws. Then you had um, some of the two smaller shows that were right in the middle, which is really weird. 
because it was a weird dynamic of people who wanted to be there beforehand and after. You had, uh, and nothing against those shows. I think they're okay shows. I don't watch a whole lot of them personally because I don't have... You don't watch Big Bang as much? Well, not Big Bang, but the next two shows. You oh, had yeah. Warehouse 13 and you had... Um, Eureka, I like Warehouse 13. Which are, are both fine shows. I don't get to see them that often. But they're not as big a draw as the first three right. shows. Um, and that was sandwiched. It was really sandwiched because right after that, Bones was supposed to be there, but Bones got canceled because yeah. the two main stars couldn't make it out, Dashnell and... Um, and Boreanaz. Boreanaz uh, was the first to cancel, and, and the only thing... He canceled, like, the day before the panel was due, so it was all set up, so there was a huge gap uh, between the studios, uh, between the, the next properties that were going to be announced, but I heard it was for personal reasons. I still haven't heard anything reason why after that. Yeah, but Boreanaz was, was for, for personal reasons. Dashnell, I mean, she's pregnant right now, so... Uh-huh. It's it's understandable to see why with, she wouldn't want to be there with Boreanaz's baby. <laughs> maybe you might have a vampire baby coming out there. Um, but uh, every time I see that show, though, I always think he's gonna fang out. <laughs> I'm like he's gonna fang out. This is the moment. Oh, he didn't do it. <laughs> but uh, and then you had True Blood, which was at the end of the day, and and I, I would probably say about two thirds of that line that was those two twenty thousand people were probably True Blood fans who were looking to get in that show. And uh, it was amazing being in that line, being in the regular part of that line, and watching people line up behind you. When you can already see from the balcony of the convention center how far that line went, 4,000 people at least, 8,000 people, it's growing every time. And people are still walking by you, and they're asking you how long is the line. And you tell them, it's a half mile. That way is where that line is. Yeah, I think I was texting you, because I was only like 10 from the door, and I still couldn't get into the panel. And like, and walking, you know, going through that line, and people are just like, Oh, it's only a half mile. It's still lining up, and that's that's a really, really, really big fandom to, to think about. Like, I don't know how many people are out there right now who would line up for nine hours before they're yeah they want to see. Yeah, it's curious though. The next year to see who's going to line up for what. Um, on the panels that you did saw, what was the most interesting things you saw? Oh wow, um, you know that that trifecta of, of Torchwood, Walking Dead, and Big Bang were really great. Um, I really think that the uh, the funniest had to be Torchwood. Torchwood was just really great. Who was on the panel? Um, there was... Uh, Barron. John, John Barrowman. Uh, what's her name? Eve... Uh, oh, my God. I'm not good with names, but the, the, the Gwen. main... Gwen. Gwen, the main Gwen. actress, yeah. The, you know, the actress who plays Gwen's character. And then all the whole new cast uh, from there. And then the... Uh, Lovely lady who's actually worked with Joss Whedon wrote on Angel and Buffy. She writes for Torchwood now. I can't remember her. Oh, name. okay. Um, she's probably a really big. Was star Davis there? Davies? Uh, no, Davies wasn't there. Uh, and then Bill Pullman was there. And Bill Pullman was like the <laughs> old man of the cast. It was very. Sort Why of, am I here? It's, it's, it's what like, am I doing here? It was like that. It was almost like any sort of family event you've been in, and you have like that one old person who's at the event, and just kind of. Um, you like to ask them questions just because you want to see the reaction. Like, what are they going to say this time? And so that's that's who Bill Pullman was in this. And he, they would ask him questions about what was going on. And he would struggle to, to answer it without giving away too much of the plot of what's going on. <laughs> he's a constant, can I say that? Can I say that? Yeah, he's very, he was very much doing that kind. He's like, I'm very bad at, at not spoiling things. He's also, I'm going to answer questions. And if you ask the right questions, you're going to learn the whole plot of uh, Miracle Day. So he was there, and that was that was a really funny. Um, because was just, John Brown is just a funny guy. A lot of people don't know that, that we they there are stars is advertising this is the first season of Torchwood the the American original. 
it's the it's always laughing. It's an original American Torchwood, right. but this is a continuation of the British seasons. And there are what this is the fourth season, right? For the British, if so you, you add the British one, two, you have Children of Earth, and then this would be season four. Yeah. yeah, and so for those that don't know, the the all of these shows started back on Doctor Who. That character uh, spinned off of that. They did three three seasons of Torchwood. And then they ended the show with quite a cliffhanger. And then season four is really where the American show starts and picks up. So if you like the American show and you've seen the last three or four episodes, which I thought I've seen them all, they're really good. Go back and watch those original episodes because you won't miss out on anything if you pick it up now. So you can watch right away in the American show. But if you want to know where those characters came from, you can go back and watch those episodes because they're really good. Uh, one of the, the, the great things about... Um that Torchwood panel as well is uh, they did talk about California and how it's so lovely out here and, it, and how better than the weather is <laughs> yeah how better than like whales and, and stuff like that is to and be not, out here in California and the the best thing about being out here in California is uh, in and out Burger yeah <laughs> well, you know I heard that on a couple panels like I don't know why but I, I I went to a couple panels where people were like from England or from some other place and they're like. We have to go to In-N-Out Burger, which is kind of our staple when it comes to hamburgers out here. I think White, White Castle on the East Coast and out here, it's it's nothing but In-N-Out. It's like a West Coast, East Coast burger feud. But, yeah, no, I saw a lot of people wearing white masks. Did you see that? Because they actually premiered the season, episode four, before it aired on television at Comic-Con. Right. Yeah, they, you got – there was people who uh, – again, it's one of those secrets of Comic-Con – you know, everybody was asking, like, where did you get the mask? Where did you get the mask? I wanted one, actually. <laughs> because it does, it deals with uh, nobody dying during the... Um... Yeah, the cult on the episode four. And, and uh, what happens at Comic-Con at night is, you may have seen the panel, the whole Torchwood panel, right? But at night, those people will show up to the premiere of a season. So this year, I saw Batman Year One, the DC animation version of the comic adaptation... Uh, and it doesn't come out till I think September, October. And uh, Torchwood had already uh, was out. I think a couple of weeks before it aired on television. And there are whole movie premieres, like Aliens, uh, uh, Cowboys vs. Aliens, that'll premiere at Comic Con before the film comes out. And it's always shocking to me how much footage they get away with showing this year. <clears throat> I, I think this year um, I saw the entire first episode of The Guild that it hadn't even come out yet, which is great because. I wasn't going to be able to see it because I didn't have any kind of internet connection in my freaking hotel room. But uh, did you see any premieres this year or anything like that? Uh, we didn't get to see a whole lot of full-length anything. A lot of the panels we went to were either teaser trailers or there was a lot of like blooper reels. Uh, as you you were you came in for the Big Bang. Yeah. Uh, oh panel. yeah. There, there was a, great was a really freaking funny blooper reel. Yeah, they had a really great. In the Walking Dead, uh, there was uh, they showed the trailer twice. They opened up with the trailer, and then the uh, the cast really wanted to see the trailer again. So before they left, they replayed the trailer, which is really a clever leaving the stage technique as well. Because while the trailer yeah. was playing. <laughs> Every all whole cast like got up and left and like I was like ah oh, sneaky sneaky battle. I did see about ten to ten minutes of Spider Man footage, and I don't know if, if you heard anything about the Amazing Spider Man film, but like uh, Sam Raimi, for those that don't know, is not directing this new episode of uh, this new reboot of Spider Man, and it's the guy who directed. Um, uh, what did he direct? I can't remember now. I'll have to look it up, but. Um, this year, uh, they play. They had uh, 
Peter Parker is played by a guy named Andrew Garfield. And what he did was really interesting. He, <laughs> Instead of actually showing up to the panel, they brought out the director and they brought out a little bit of people, but they didn't bring out any of the cast. And he goes up to the microphone, but you don't know it's him. He's dressed in a Spider-Man outfit, like a... a a throwaway outfit, the kind you'd find at a Halloween costume shop. And he starts asking all these questions about the film, and then he pulls off his mask, and then you find out it's Andrew, Andrew Garfield, and he's the guy who's playing Spider-Man. And I thought it was cl- He was incredibly nervous. He was talking about how much he loves Stan Lee, and how he loves Spider-Man, and that Spider-Man is an inspiration to him as a kid growing up. And if you go online, you can check out a- Andrew Garfield at Comic-Con, and I, I, you probably see the footage because they allow you to shoot what people say. They don't allow you to show, show the footage. But that panel showed about uh, seven to ten minutes. And it's got a great cast, Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man film coming out. But um, it's got like, Sally Fields playing um, Aunt May. And it's got Uncle Ben being played by Martin Sheen. And it, it's got Andrew Garfield from the social, uh, social network. It's and, got uh, Mark Webb as the uh, director. Mark Webb, that's him. Yeah. And um, the thing about it is, is, is like, I, I, Emma Stone is also playing Gwen. They went with Gwen Stacy. They're trying to yeah. distance themselves as much from the other films. The problem I think they're going to have with the Spider-Man film, though, is the fact that Spider-Man was not an unsuccessful film. We got a third film that was bad, but the first two films are considered some of the best adaptations from comic book films. And so... They try to distance themselves from those films, and in so doing, they've made a few tweaks with the character of Peter Parker. Yeah, I, I feel like the uh, the punctuation on the Spider-Man franchise was a little bit weak. That you had the first Spider-Man, you had the second Spider-Man, which were strong films, like you said, uh, but they weren't. They didn't finish very strongly. They kind of buried that that ending with with that third film, with that nasty taste in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's it's. It's going to be a little bit difficult coming off of that such of a big franchise. You have three films that did, on average, really well, and then try to come out with something new and say, like, no, this is Spider-Man. Right. And so that's going to be a little bit difficult hurdle because uh, regular viewers or people who are not keeping up on comic pop, pop culture are going to be a little bit confused by that. I can see it already. People are like, well, is that who Spider-Man is? Like, is that the same? I already had it with my nephew. My nephew's like, is did is this Spider-Man taller? Like, <laughs> like, oh, it's a reboot. And he's, he kind of knows what a reboot is by now. And, and he's like, why? Why are they doing that? <laughs> and he's not very old. And so he's already picking up on like, I like the Spider-Man films. I like that guy who was Spider-Man and, and having in the public conscience, what people think of as their Spider-Man. It's like, who's your Batman? Is it Michael Keaton? Is it Adam West? It just depends on the era that you grew up watching, whatever you're watching. Right. E- even more contemporarily, if you want to say, uh, who's your Doctor Who? You know, there's there's all those great T-shirts that, that say you'll never forget your first, your first doctor. doctor, and so that that will be a big contention when the Spider-Man movie comes out. People will instantly compare it to that franchise that came before it because it was only a couple of years ago. It was only a couple of years ago. It's really fresh in their mind, you know. So it's it's going to be one of those hurdles they're going to have to get over to distance themselves from the previous Spider-Man, which they can get in a lot of trouble from because if they're doing too much distancing, they can lose the character of Spider-Man, which is actually one of the strongest points I feel 
in those Sam Raimi films right. is that you really got that character of Spider-Man coming through. And, and I, the thing about the Sam Raimi films is you can tell Sam Raimi was a comic book fan because he followed the 80s and up until the 90s, until the advent of, of Venom. That was kind of his Spider-Man era. And so he kind of knew those characters really well. The, the Spider-Man's rogue gallery that you saw in the first two films were really well done because those are the comic books he fell in love with. And Venom was something that, you know, in reading a lot of the stuff about the films, the studio, Sony, was kind of pressuring him to take control of the film. And he really wasn't ever really comfortable with adding Venom to the film. They kind of sold him on the idea of Venom. And then you ended up just getting too many villains in a film and it being cluttered. But really, Sam Raimi really loves that character. Now, with the new Spider-Man, what I saw on the footage is doing things to purposely distance himself from the other films, like you said, they are kind of drawing away, I think, from the character. They're following the ultimate Spider-Man a little bit more with the suit and other things, but, like, for those that don't know, Peter Parker makes his own web shooters, so we, we did away with that retcon, the, the kind of thing that they did in the other film where the shooters were coming out of his hand, so it was a little bit more like the comic book with that choice, but uh, did you have a... Well, I was going to say, were you, you were at, at, at the conventions when... Um that franchise first started, right? Yeah, oh so yeah. What was the foot? Do you remember footage being? The footage of the last three? Yeah. Uh, I saw footage of two and three, the ones I vividly remember. Two was awesome because they showed us footage of, of the Oct- Dr. Ox's hands and stuff. The Venom footage was awesome, but you only saw about two or three minutes of the Venom footage. And so the visuals were really cool. And so it was a big panel, and people were really excited. But when you saw the film... You, 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 you saw something completely different than your expectations from the footage. That's great. That's actually one of the uh, Comic-Con's uh, biggest tripes is to give you the money shot of whatever they're showing you. That little bit of preview is always the best nugget they're going to have. Right, just like the commercials. And they're gonna, and that's going to bring you in and, and sort of uh, you have to be careful with that. Uh, I would say one of the bigger exceptions of that, uh, Thor. What came out from Thor yeah. last year. Like Thor that they showed you was really great at the convention center in San Diego last year. Uh, and then the movie comes out, and you're like, the whole movie's like this. This is fantastic. Yeah, oh yeah, it didn't match up to the expectations because, as a fan, you know, uh, you show a visual one and say, oh, this is from that comic. People go, yay! But we're not stupid. We're not just gonna go home and be like, oh yeah, just because we saw it at Comic Con, somehow that's gonna translate to to seeing it two or three times. You know, we might see it once, but. You get that repeat viewing in there. But no, what I saw in this footage was really odd, and it's not like that. So the visuals I saw were different. So the Spider-Man we saw was a lot of CGI Spider-Man in the other films, and they had some interesting aerial shots. This one, they're kind of doing a parkour thing where they're trying to make all the physical visuals a lot more appealing. And it reminds me of a, some video game technology where they're constantly running up a wall, and then the camera angle turns sideways, then it turns down, then it turns up. So you get Spider-Man's point of view. And it was interesting, but I guarantee you people are going to be so incredibly frustrated if you get that vertigo effect from shaky cam. Oh, I bet. I bet there's going to be half an hour in, people are like, I'm tired of this Spider-Man vision. You know, Why can't we just shoot a movie from third-person yeah, and I hope they have more shots like that. The The acting was really good in the film, but the problem I saw is they had this scene where Peter Parker's in school, and so they're going back to when Peter Parker's in school. They're going to keep him in school, and he's going to stay there for the franchise is what it looks like, which I'm okay with if you do it well. But what I get is this, these kind of shots of these like Twilight-inspired moments of teen angst and a lot of like really odd and peculiar in, uh, scenes uh, and... and Peter Parker in this version is more of a punk than he is a nerd. And they were asked that on the panel. One of the panel questions was, 
you know, what what is why is Peter Parker getting into a fight and kind of stuff? And they were like, well, you know, nerds have become popular in culture, the guy said. I think it was Webb himself. And so we wanted to do something a little different with Peter Parker and not just make him a traditional nerd because, you know, there are a lot of nerds and it's much more accepting. So we had to do something to to make it a little more edgy. And so, like, Parker in the scene I saw, he grabs a kid and throws him against the locker and, like, has holding there. He's like a bully. And then Uncle Ben shows up and is like, what are you doing? You know, he's like, ah, the kid has been bugging me. He's been teasing me all year. So he's still kind of a nerd, but all of a sudden, like, he's like a Columbine student nerd or whatever. It it was just an (laughs) odd kind of a – he was angsty trying to be like, you know, like Edwin or a a Twilight character or something. I, that's that's a very interesting point. It's, it speaks more to what we were talking about before, where Hollywood does its best to try to co-op the nerd culture without having to submit to it. Right. So oh, yeah, definitely. They want the nerd power. They want sort of the nerd voice. money. <laughs> they want the nerd money. They want the voice of our subcultures that are in there in comic books and in movies and stuff like that. But they don't want to be able, like, they want to be held responsible for that voice and they don't want to be held to that voice when people ask them why did you do that you know why why would you choose to take that character and make him more aggressive than he's generally seen because i mean one of the the great things about the spider-man character traditionally is that the guy can't catch a break i mean the, the, the yeah you know the kid generally wants to do good but unfortunately there's all these sort of pressures because of of him being spider-man that he can never sort of just have that normal life and sort of be the cool kid and, and be aggressive and just do what he wants. And so, um, I mean, if you want a more contemporary analogy, you look at the first couple seasons of Smallville. Uh, yeah. You know, and you have Clark Kent, who has these amazing powers and these abilities, but who's sort of stuck having to play the part of the weaker character. And traditionally, that's who Spider-Man has been. Has right. been having to play the part of the weaker person. Um but uh, Mark Webb's going to go in a different direction. He's going to go and say, like, well, no, you know, he's going to be that powerful guy. And, you know, if you look online, there's a couple of articles I've read, too, about what he's going to redefine Spider-Man. And just sometimes the words that, that certain directors use to try and be edgy concerns me. It's like when J.J. Abrams was trying to get that overseas audience. Because traditionally in Japan, Star Trek is not something that people like. And so he's like, it's not like the show. But at the same time, when he's at Comic Con, it's like it's just like the show, you know. And <laughs> and I'm hoping that's what's going on here that he's just trying to to market an audience when he's talking out there on the articles. But uh, I worry when they start saying, "I'm going to make him my own," and your own is so different from anything that that the character is itself. And there, there's a wide margin of interpretation for who what you can add to a Spider-Man film. And I've already seen that's not the only character that had a problem with the change. The other one was the lizard. So that like a lot of people knew that if Sam Raimi directed this next one, the lizard would have been a part. He's in all three films. He's the guy without the arm. For those that don't know, the the doctor, Doctor Connors, Doctor Connors, and so they have Doctor Connors as the villain in this new version of the reboot. But he's a jerk from the beginning. He's not Peter Parker's friend at all. Like you see two three minutes of him, he's like, oh, well, you think you're all smart and all that, you know? Like, and he's like this cocky dude that nobody likes working for in in in, in the place where Spider Man gets bit by the radioactive spider and i'm like whoa wait a minute i i thought he was supposed to be a nice dude is a dr jekyll mr hyde story right and that's that's again you're you're trying to distance yourself too much right from those previous things really you're going to take away a little bit of that character because uh the character dr connors who becomes a lizard uh you're you're supposed to feel for him he's really a right. victim of this other personality 
and to make him just villainous and you take away from that complexity and you you know he's more of a cardboard villain at that point and I think that that could drive away a little bit of the story from those that new Spider-Man franchise so I'm a little worried I'm always a fan I want these films to do well but at the same time you know I'm not going to stop the, the the little things that tweak me as a fan and so with that I you know I have high expectations I hope it does well but you're gonna have some major problems because Sam Raimi's stuff is still in the in the in the American public conscience. So, so hopefully, like I said, it goes well. But we'll see. <laughs> yeah, you definitely don't want to pull a Tim Burton if anyone's ever seen the foot, like the the small footage or the photos from the designs in the uh, what was originally going to be the reboot for Superman with Nicolas Cage. Oh, that was horrible. Directed by Tim Burton, there is some fantastic really great hilarious costumes designs that came out of that that you can you can go google right now look up yeah. Tim Burton Superman suit and you'll see Nicolas Cage dressed in some crazy ecstasy stuff it, it looked freaking weird and when you see that picture it's almost like a clear plastic super s oh, uh, it gives me nightmares to think what that movie would have been it would have been this Joel Schumacher of the Batman of the Superman series if they'd let him get away with directing that one, so good to see that didn't show up. <laughs> was there anything else interesting that you you saw trailer wise? That I saw a lot of things, and like one of the things I wanted to say to those who are listening to the podcast: if you have specific questions about things you heard at Comic Con, even if I didn't see the panel or he or, or Manny didn't see the panel, we probably can talk to you about what we heard or what we saw from the panel. But I saw Prometheus, which is the prequel ideas that that are, that are being uh, put together and shot right now. Uh, uh, the the prequel to Alien, and the the Alien prequel was originally going to be called Alien, but uh, it became so different that uh, Ridley Scott decided to call it Prometheus, and it does explain that ship at the beginning of Alien. So that footage was really awesome. We can share that a little bit now. Next podcast, uh, we're getting closer on time here, but the I also saw the Total Recall footage for the remake of the Philip K. Dick novel version of the Total Recall, which looks like it's modeling the, the, the book. I haven't read the book too much. Uh, I know a little bit about the story. So it looks like it's following the book a little closer, but it's with Colin Farrell reprising the Arnold Schwarzenegger role, which is really odd. And uh, I also saw Ghost Rider footage, which I thought was interesting because they're going with an R rating for Ghost Rider this year. And we're still getting Nicolas Cage. But uh, Idris Elba, the guy who played Hemdall in Thor, is going to be one of the villains. And uh, also, for those who don't know, the BBC show Luther, which is a really good show that's on Netflix instant stream. And if you haven't seen that and you want to know how good of actor that guy in Thor was that played Hemdall, the black guy in Thor, evidently there was such a controversy. But uh, that show's really good right now, so check that out on, on, uh, on uh, Netflix instant stream. But with that said, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, next year and pricing and shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the difference uh, between this year, what happened with uh, registration and what's happening with the registration uh, for next year. Uh, So anybody who didn't pre-register in 2010 for this year's Comic-Con essentially had to go and find the Golden Apple in order to get tickets for this year. There was a lot, a lot, a lot of runaround run for buying any kind of pre-registration tickets uh, in the fall, which the, the tests happened in the fall for Comic-Con, if you don't so know last about year. that, uh, for, for the Comic-Con that just happened. Uh, 
totally bombed, crash. Not a lot of people happy Three about times. that. Um, and then they did the full-on registration in the springtime, really late, and a lot of people did not get their tickets uh, for this year's Comic-Con uh, 2011. <laughs> so I know you had some difficulties getting... Uh, I had a nightmare of a time trying to get tickets this year. I have never had a problem buying tickets online. And I had switched to online because there are some features for people who, who are military, used to be military, that are harder to get when you're there because uh, people don't know what they're doing. But I, I, I try to get online. I've always got a ticket online for the last two, three years. And this year it crashed three times. Within 15 minutes of being on, it crashed again. And they're talking about record sales uh, happening all at once and more people have hit the site than in history. But at the same time, it took them three times over three months over over almost six month period to fix these problems and it's just been a nightmare i had to buy individual day passes for all four days so i got all comic-con in except for i didn't get to go to preview night but i had to buy day individual passes for each day which was more expensive yeah and that's it's one of the things that's becoming more and more both cost prohibitive in actual money and time that they're really trying to weed out a lot of the the, the people who go to con by making it more difficult and more expensive and more expensive so if you had bought a four-day pass last year for 2011 whether or not you got preview night you bought that ticket for preview night the price was only 105 dollars uh for next year without preview night it's going to be 150 dollars for a four-day pass and for preview night they're they're actually charging for the very first time they're going to be charging an extra 25 dollars 175 for preview night for next year, which if anybody stood in that line this year for uh, pre-registration for 2012, that was uh, that was a heck of a line this year. That was pretty difficult. You had people camping out all night. Uh, the very first day, that line closed by six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So uh, we got tickets uh, Saturday morning. Things were a little bit calmer then because there were some other big things going on at the convention center. So not as many people were in the line. We showed up at 520 or so, and, and, and my wife got tickets for us. And But it was really prohibitive. Uh, so if you did not have a ticket for that day of the convention, you could not go stand in line for half of the convention time to get your tickets for next year. So it was really prohibitive. They made you choose between going to con next year and going to con this, this year. year. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, you know, if you had a Thursday ticket and you try to go buy tickets on Saturday, you're out of luck. If you bought tickets on Thursday, if you already went through that pre-registration line on Thursday, um, didn't have money, got paid on Friday, maybe you want to go back, get those tickets on Saturday, well, guess what? You you're don't have a ticket luck. on Saturday, you're out of luck. Or, you know, if you went through that line, they wouldn't let you get in line again. You scanned your ticket, your badge, uh, the day you went through. Oh, wow. And if you went back on Saturday and got in that line again, they scanned your badge and it showed up that you had already been through that line, you were not allowed to buy any more tickets. You were only allowed to buy for two people total. And you could buy for each day if you wanted to, but up to two people in one time during the week. I got, uh, I didn't get, I don't even want to call it luck, but I, I got in on the some help from the uh, disabled services that helps out veterans and different people there. And I, the line still took, it still took me a six hours of waiting in line, even in those lines to get a ticket. I did manage to get a ticket after six hours for next year. But to give you an idea of what it was like last year, last year I, I declined to buy pre-registration tickets at the convention, but I walked up to the line that wasn't there 
It was just a booth, and I was like, oh, pre-registration. Oh, I, I can't do it this year. I'll just do it online. And that's when they had the fiasco. So really, last year, this last con is really the biggest problems they had with registration. Um, and some words of advice for those who really, really do want to go to con, you really have to really, no kidding, show up on the morning if you're going to go online and sit there and hit refresh. I imagine it's going to be better this year. I'm hoping they fix the problem with the registration. Um, they may do like a thing where they sell so many tickets, stop, sell so many tickets, stop, and sell so many tickets and stop. But it, and you were mentioning that they may even do away with pre-registration next year. Yeah, one of the rumors that they have, um, already listed in an interview uh, on Sunday, the last day of con, one of the board members was uh, quoted. Uh, no one really knows where this quote came from, but it blew up on Twitter that there was going to be no pre-registration at Comic-Con 2012 for Comic-Con 2013. Um, so if that goes through, if there is no pre-registration, uh, you will see quite a bit of people drop out of com- like attendance for Comic-Con convention because um, a lot of people will not go through that hassle of going through online when it's going to be a bidding war like that. It is really like buying suit- Action Comics number one on eBay for yeah. $5. And it is incredible the amount of time people, everybody I know who try to get tickets and who can only get one-day tickets... Um, it was just really off-put by that, uh, was it Leapfrog or something like that? Yeah, website? Leapfrog was the site. In fact, I saw this year at Comic-Con, one of the cosplays was a computer screen. The lady was walking around, and the screen said, I'm sorry that this needs to be, that this, this that your transaction did not go through. Please try again and refresh. And at the top it said Leapfrog, and that was her costume at Comic-Con. And it said like six hours or whatever. Right. So it was it was just crazy. Uh, the, the problem, I think, for those that really want to go... Um, there, I did post on my Facebook page some things you can do to try and make it better, but it is a, just a trial and error. 120,000 people plus, I think. Yeah, it's, it's normally uh, over 125,000 people. They don't they, they count regular attendees. They don't actually count press. They don't actually count professionals. Or children. Or children. So the children though, are free under 12. Even even though they give you that, that 125,000 plus, there's still probably about 9,000 to 10,000 people who are just unaccounted Easy. for. Uh, that are actually at the convention center at different times. Um, one of the things that's, that's really surprising is that uh, I always pre-register every year. At least I've tried to pre-register every year. The very first year I actually went to con, though, we didn't buy tickets until June. Oh, yeah. And it was easy. It was very easy to, you know... Get online. Get online, buy those tickets late. Uh, when pre-registering this year, though, one of the things they did say was that they are splitting up how many tickets... They are selling at the convention center in pre-registration for 2012 uh, and how much they're going to sell online. So that actually might alleviate some of the problems because what happened in 2010, they didn't structure it like you can only buy so many tickets or they were going to only sell so many tickets for 2011. So they actually sold out of tickets uh, at pre-registration this year because they staggered it since they were saying, well, we're only going to sell... About a third to half of the uh, available tickets that you might see a little bit more ticket availability online, but I mean, who's to say what's going to happen in six months from now when tickets go on sale and um, you know things haven't been figured out? Like, are they been figured out the last minute and something crashes? Yeah, it, it's crazy. But um, if you can go, I recommend that you do go. Uh, I've had friends that over the years used to go with me and stop going because it got too crowded. I really think the crowded issue has really been alleviated with the overspill into the hotels. 
the con's done a really good job. Of, I've been able to walk the floor. They police the floor now, so if they start giving out freebies and it gets too crowded, you don't have that problem to jam up as much because they will shut down that whole entire booth until that crowd clears out. So the crowd control's gotten better. The overflow into other hotels, they moved the whole sections of the animation and the anime that goes on at night upstairs all the way over to the other hotel. So it's spread out more. So you really like something, it's specialized. So And even if you're not, like you just want to take a vacation like San Diego, and if you live in the local area, I suggest you just check out what's going on in the gas lamp if you want to go. Oh, most definitely. You can have a lot of fun in the gas lamp in the downtown area without ever, ever having to go inside the convention center if you're not that big of a fan of comic books or entertainment or pop culture. Um, you, there's actually a lot of neat things that are in downtown area. We had the uh, Conan O'Brien Art Gallery. The Art Gallery for the that Flaming Sea. The Flaming Sea. That was a fantastic <laughs> art gallery. Some really great stuff there. There's just all kinds of um, sci-fi's downtown. They're not in the convention center. There's a lot of different little things that are downtown that you wouldn't know until you went and go walk walked out of Real Steel. Real Steel had no presence inside the convention center. They had three different trailers in the downtown area yeah, wow. that you can go up and play the video game or win prizes and get swag and stuff like that. And a lot of stuff, they even give freebies a lot over there in the gas lamp area. They had that whole Total Recall setup car there and people were taking pictures with it and there's a lot of people just partying and hanging out there's a lot of little like spillover into shows so they had a, a, a dr horrible sing-along blog a live action show that was selling tickets separate from comic-con uh dimitri martin was there they had all these other comedians they have like plays and they're all attached to comic-con and sometimes some tickets will go but they're really they're open to the public so if you can get those tickets there's a steampunk ball and convention or something down there there's going a, on there's uh one of the big ones nerd hq if you didn't hear about nerd hq this uh summer at comic-con uh, you really missed out on a lot of great stuff that, that happened. Uh, me and my wife heard about it kind of late, and it was during some I didn't hear about it really important stuff that, that was going on at the same time. But, I mean, they had some really intimate events that uh, you bought tickets for, and then you got to see someone up really close, you know, 200 people maybe. And you were in a room with 200 people, and you got to see something like Nathan Fillion. Or you oh, got wow. to see Yeah, like really up close, really famous people that were doing things for charity and stuff like that. So Nerd HQ is definitely somewhere where we'll probably be quite a bit next year. So if you want to know what's going to come on next year, um, we're getting close to wrapping it up here. Uh, so for those of you who want to know more about the show or you have questions or concerns or things we didn't address that we can address next time, you can uh, write me on Twitter at UnclePappyWolf uh, on Twitter.com or the Nerd Hooligan has its own podcast. I mean, its own uh it, its own Twitter account and also on Facebook at Uncle Pappy Wolf. You can look me up. Manny, do you have a, anywhere they can look you up or you could just. No, you just direct questions for you. I'm just really lazy about <laughs> responding to things like that. So, Well, without further ado, that's been our podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. And next week we'll talk a little, probably a little bit more about some comics and some comic books as well. We have other properties that were there at Comic Con. It's so incredibly huge. It's hard to get it all in under one podcast. So, like I said, if you have questions, let us know. All right. We'll hear you next time. Bye bye. Who's that I see walking in these woods? Why, it's Little Red Riding Hood. Hey there, Little Red Riding Hood.